Welcome to the North Brevard Church of Christ podcast. I'm Doug Hunter, one of the elders. We hope that this podcast makes our sermons and Bible studies more accessible. Good morning. It is good to see everybody here. If you're visiting with us, let me tell you how happy we are that you chose to come and be with us today. We know there are a lot of places you could have gone. And the fact that you're here brings us joy and humbles us. So thank you for being here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today, if you'd like to turn there. Luke chapter 15. We are currently in a series about the subject of being lost. And it's all coming from the book of Luke. But we're going to see that theme all the way through. So it'll be in the next four or five weeks. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and and be together as your people. I ask, Lord, that, that you help us to understand and to grab hold of of what Jesus taught while he was here. Lord, I ask you help me get out of the way so that people can just see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old book. I mean, it's pretty old, and they've had the 50th edition of it. So it's, it's, it's an old book. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And it's by a man named Thomas Kuhn. It's, it's an amazing book. If you take your time to read it, he gives you why we believe what we believe and why we believe something different than the next guy down the road. For instance, ah, I did that. For instance, he says every one of us comes with an established bias before we study. Now, if you want a, a great example of this, Copernicus was the first one to come up with the theory that everything revolved around the sun. The only trouble with this theory, he didn't release his books until four days before his death. So he wasn't able to really push what was in the book. And we went around thinking, well, what's happening is everything's revolving around the earth. We are the center of everything. Now, believe it or not, they were pushing that as scripture. They said, whenever you read of the creation, what do you read of? The earth being created. And God created everything after that, so the earth is the center of everything. And they believed that. But then came Galileo. And he came with information that didn't fit their old patterns. If the earth is the center of everything, how come 
It's so predictable about what's happening up there. And he presented this and they declared him a heretic. Now you say, well, that's not too bad. He went to prison. And eventually they said, if you look at everything that's happening, you've got to accept that we revolve around the sun. The only trouble was that was 300 years later. So for 300 years, they held on to this belief that we were the center of everything. That's what we knew. And we weren't going to let any of these newfangled ideas come and disturb us. Those of you who worked on the Apollo program, do you know there are still lots of people who do not believe we went to the moon? Well, you can't, you can't believe you went to the moon. There's, there's, this, there's this radiation belt around the earth and if you shoot somebody up through that radiation belt, they'll just be fried, glow in the dark, and that'll be it. You can't get to the moon. If you want a good time, Go to YouTube and look at some of the reasons they give. It's that idea of you can't do it. And the fact that we have all this evidence, they don't want to believe it. And so they don't. That happened in Jesus' time too. Rome came in and they did their conquering and Rome was pretty ruthless. So what happened to the Jewish nation is they splintered. They all went off in different directions and started to believe different things about the Romans. The Essenes, for example, they decided they didn't want anything to do with Rome or anybody else. So they went off into the desert. They lived in caves. They wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. But they were just happy if they were left alone. That was their aim in life. Now, the opposite of the Essenes are the Zealots. Jesus had a disciple that was a Zealot. And the Zealots decided to be the people who would overthrow Rome. They acted a lot like some of the enemies of American democracy, like ISIS or Al-Qaeda. They would find soldiers who were drunk and they would kill them and hide the bodies. Any way they could hurt Rome and not get caught for it, they would do it. And then there were the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees decided to give up all belief in the supernatural. And the reason was Rome didn't believe it. So if they were going to get along with Rome, they had, adopt, they had to adopt Roman philosophy. And that meant they couldn't be any life after death. That meant there couldn't be any miraculous miracles that were happening. That meant there couldn't be any God that would just 
listen to you and have this kind of relationship where he cared about you. And as a result, they became the people in charge to all the civil activities that the Roman government required. If you needed a license for something, the guy who waited on you would be a Sadducee. If you needed to pay this or that because Rome required it, you'd run into a Sadducee. Rome put them in charge. Rome said they're just like us. They listen to us. Let's give them power. And so they gave up their beliefs and compromised. But the group we probably know most about are the Pharisees. We sort of paint the Pharisees as bad guys. They weren't. The Pharisees' one goal in life was to keep the Old Testament and keep following it. So in order to keep the Old Testament, they decided the best way we can keep the old law and the Old Testament is to set up a bunch of rules. And so they started making their rules. And anybody who violated those rules, well, they needed to be looked at with suspicion. And if you caught them really violating an important rule, they needed to be stoned to death. The reason we remember the Pharisees so much is they were this legalistic, rule-keeping bunch and along comes Jesus who is merciful and loving and forgiving. That's the group that's giving Jesus trouble in Luke chapter 15. Isaac, I think, is in the back. So y'all, when you see Isaac, is Isaac here? No. He's back there. He is there? Ah, great job. Great job. I'm short. I can't see over the people. That's my problem. There he is. (laughs) Jesus comes and the Pharisees are there. And they look and they say, how come you are eating... You're welcoming sinners, that's problem one. You see, they thought sin was one of these things that if you got too close to a person who was sinful, you just pick up their habits and you would become sinful too. So they didn't allow you to be seen with sinful people. The second thing is he eats with them. Now, eating with people means you are one with them in this time and place. So, not only is he welcoming these people, he's really one of them. So Jesus tells a parable to the Pharisees. He starts out, which of you who has a hundred sheep and finds one that is lost would not go and find it. Now that takes a little bit of understanding about parables. Uh, I had Clyde Miller at 
for parables at Lipscomb, and Clyde was from the deep south. So parables lasted a long time in his class. Don't worry, I, I talk faster than that. But when he says, which one of you, that is called the hook. You see, when Jesus says, which one of you standing here, he's saying, all of you that I'm talking to, I want you to imagine that you are in these guys' shoes, which is the second part of a parable. It is a common, everyday thing that they observed. So Jesus sets the hook and says, which one of you who's out shepherding a hundred sheep and he counts at night and finds only 99, so he counts again and he only comes up with 99, and he counts again and only comes up with 99, which one of those would the shepherd just say, well, he's gone, dumb sheep. Now, there's a lot about sheep that I learned on my grandfather's farm. Sheep will start eating and just wander straight ahead. They don't care if anybody else is going with them. They don't care if anybody else is around them. They've got grass. They've got water. They are happy campers. So he could have wandered off. Or he could have died when an animal attacked and the shepherd didn't see it. If that were the case, the shepherd would have to produce the animal's carcass. See, they didn't want you to sell their sheep out there while you were alone or decide you were hungry one night and say, well, I've got 100 sheep, they won't miss one. Now, all that he shepherded were his responsibilities. So either you get 100 sheep back or you find the carcass of an animal that killed that, that lamb or it was going to be trouble for you. So he said, sell. Now, this is the common picture of a shepherd. And because it's used so common, we remember the shepherd's staff. And we say, main thing that shepherds use, it wasn't. They were used to keep sheep in order. By the way, they're still used to keep sheep in order today. You see the crook at the top? That would go around the sheep's neck and you give a firm pull back and they will turn. Because it hurts. If you get the sheep headed the wrong way, you take the bottom of the shepherd's staff and you bump it and he'll turn the other way. The main thing that the shepherds used and the most important thing they carried was a sling. Now, this is easy to understand. How come David killed Goliath with a sling? He was a shepherd. If you had a lion coming at you you get your sling out, you put a rock in it, and if you're a good aim, you can kill that thing. Or David said he killed a bear. How'd he do that? He did it with a sling. It was as, almost as good as a bullet if you could hit what you were looking at constantly. David practiced every day with his sling. 
Anytime he had time that he didn't have to be giving it to the sheep, that shepherd could practice and got pretty good. He could hit something right between the eyes and kill it. Even someone that was nine foot seven. So the sling was important. They had to use it to keep the sheep viable. And one man finds that a sheep is gone and he's distraught. So he leaves the 99, probably with another herd. And he goes out and he looks. He looks at where he had them grazing the day. He looks up higher so he can find them. He looks all over because he's got to find that sheep. Even if it's dead, he's got to find that sheep. And then he comes to the point where he finds it. And it's alive. It was just being a typical dumb sheep who wandered off from the other 99. And he puts it on his shoulders. And he goes back to where the other shepherds are. And he calls his friends and those neighborings and says, Rejoice with me. I found the sheep that was lost. And all those shepherds and people who are out there with the shepherd, they threw a party. Because they knew what it was like to lose a sheep. They knew what he was facing. And they understood. Now comes part three. Part three after you have the hook and the common situation is, here's the application. You're upset with me because I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 who don't need any repentance. Jesus has just told them, you don't like me be with sinners and tax collectors and eating with them? I'm the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. And when we find that one lost sheep, there's joy in heaven. Not, not just on earth. There's a celebration in heaven. When that happens. Now, why did Jesus tell this? What was the, the big deal behind it? That's how God feels when somebody's lost. Of course, he's going to be with tax collectors and sinners. God who's in charge of him. He owns the sheep. And they're precious to him. 
And sometimes it's easy to forget that. This is a poem by John Fisher. Not our John Fisher. <laughs> this is another John Fisher. Comes out of his book, Real Christians Don't Dance. And it's one of those things that I've held on to for years. See if you can figure out where you are. In it, not of it, the statement was made. As Christian one faced the world much afraid. In it, not of it, was called, the call was made clear. But Christian one got something stuck in his ear. Not in it or of it was the thing that he heard. And knowing that the world was painfully absurd, he welcomed the safety of a pious retreat and went to the church potluck for something to eat. When I read that, I thought it was Church of Christ. Now, Christian, too, he knew what to do. He chose those fuddy-duddies a thing or two. How will the world ever give Christ a try if we don't get in there and identify? So in it and of it, he said in his car as he pulled into his favorite popular bar, I'll tell those people the truth as soon as I'm able to get out from under this table. Now along comes Christian 3, jogging for Jesus in sweat, witnessing sweats made of four matching pieces. His ears are playing the hot Christian tune about how Jesus is coming back soon. Not in it, but of it, he turns down the hill as he stops in for a bite at the agape grill. Like the gold on the chain of his, of his God loves you bracelet. We can have the world and not really face it. While up in heaven, they lament these conditions that come from changing just a few prepositions. Not in it or of it, Christian one thought. But who in the world will know that he's not? In it and of it, thought Christian too. But who in the world will know that he knew? Not in it, but of it, thought Christian three. But who only watches Christian TV? And Jesus turns to Gabriel, shaking his head. In it, not of it. Isn't that what I said? There are people out there who need to know what we know. They need to understand that the new life in Christ isn't for fuddy-duddies. It's not for old people who didn't have anything else to do. There are people who need an invitation from you. Come learn. Come worship. Come understand. Come be part of. Because they don't know.
They're much like the Pharisees. They think that rule keeping is the way to live a good life. Well, they were a really good person. They didn't do anything wrong. They, were, they helped people. They were good. Without Jesus, they're lost. And understanding that is the reason for the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus stayed with tax collectors and sinners because they were lost. Some are lost, according to James, by wandering away from the truth. Oh, they were Christians, and you can remember when they used to come, and, and now they're not here. Some people are Christians because they never knew. And they still don't know. You see, what Jesus teaches in the first two parables of Luke 15 is, you remember what it's like to be lost? Do you remember? When I was eight years old, my dad raised beagles for hunting. Uh, he did quite a good job. He had a national champion that trailed better than any other dog in the nation. So he thought his eight-year-old son had this down. And he said, just throw a rock in some brush and throw a rock in some brush. And if there are rabbits in there, he'll take off and the dog will go after him. He'll learn to. So I was doing that. And I threw a rock in the brush, nothing happened. I threw a rock in the brush, nothing happened. I threw a rock in the brush, and a deer came up. Deer don't do what rabbits do. Rabbits circle. Deer go straight as fast as I can. So the dog's after the deer, and I'm after the dog. And when I finally catch the dog, I'm in a place I've never been before. It's in the middle of the woods. I don't know which direction is home. And I sat down and talked to the dog about the fine mess he got me into. We kept walking until we saw a light. We went for the light. We were four miles from my house. You talk about a scared little boy. I didn't know which way to go. There are people who are religiously lost who don't know which way to go. If I can help, if we can help, Jesus came to find us. He came to die on a cross so that if we repent of our sins, which is a fancy way of saying stop living for ourselves, and are immersed in water, he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will change you from the inside out. If we can help you get there, if you need to talk to somebody, we have people that will talk and help you understand. 
but God sent Jesus to find you. So won't you give us the chance to help you find God? Why together we stand and why we sing?